God's word for our meditation this morning is our second lesson from Philemon. I'm going to read it again to get it back in the context of our minds. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. This is the word of the Lord. His slave had stolen from him and had run away, seemingly gone for good. Years have gone by. Doesn't know where he is, if he's dead or alive. What's become of Onesimus? But one day, years later, look who it is on his doorstep. None other than Onesimus. And Philemon must have this range of emotions going on. First, there, there has to be relief. Because we know from the context here that, that this wasn't like a slave-master relationship that we often think of. Onesimus was dear to Philemon. He cared about Philemon. You know, he was probably more like, like a servant in his home and almost like part of his family, in a sense. So, so maybe there was some, some relief and some, you know, just like, so relieved that, that his, his person that was so dear to him was okay. Or maybe there was some anger because of what Onesimus had done to him years before, had stolen from him, we're not sure what or how much, and that he had just taken off. Well, at a word. But more than anything, there was probably questions. Why would Onesimus come back after all this time? I mean, he was a quote-unquote free man now. Why would he come back to Philemon, who, under Roman law, would have the right to punish Onesimus and even to punish him with death. But seemingly, before any word could be spoken between Philemon and Onesimus, Onesimus shoves a letter out. 
into Philemon's chest and says, read this. And Philemon opens the letter. And he sees right away who it's from. It's from his dear friend. A, a dear friend that he has not seen in a very long time. And more than just a dear friend, but, but his former pastor. A fellow co-worker. A brother in the Lord. And who, by, by his last reports that he had gotten, was he was in prison in Rome, 1,300 miles away from Colossae, where Philemon lived. And somehow, and he's trying to put the pieces together here, somehow Onesimus had gotten into Paul's company 1,300 miles away in Rome and just been with Paul. And he reads on. And there's only really one piece of business in this short letter. Paul is writing to his dear friend and his brother in the Lord with an appeal on behalf of Onesimus. That this Onesimus, in his time with Paul in Rome, had become his son in the faith. He had come to hear the gospel and to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he's writing to Philemon first and foremost to rejoice with me. Rejoice with me, Philemon, because Onesimus is a brother in faith with us. Rejoice in that, Philemon. And then he tells him, you know, he's, he's been such a help to me. He's been such a blessing to me in my time here in chains in Rome. And I wanted to keep him because he's been such a help to me, just like you were, Philemon, in past years. You were such a help to me, and so Onesimus has been to me more recently. And I wanted to keep him here with me, but, but there's the whole issue that I learned about when Onesimus repented, when he confessed. He told me what he did to you. He told me how he stole from you, how he ran away from you, and so I couldn't keep him here. I had to send him back to you, because I, I didn't want to do this without your consent. And so here he is. He's back. But then Paul goes on and, and tells his friend Philemon how he hopes that Philemon will receive Onesimus back, no longer as a slave but as a brother, a brother in faith, a brother in the Lord. He says that, that maybe the reason that he was separated you from you for a while is so that you could have him back forever as a brother right now and a brother for eternity. And Paul tells him, he says to him here, I, Paul, am writing this, I'm sorry, uh, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but he's even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And, and on top of that, Paul says, you know, if, if there's some debt to be paid, if there's something he owes you, I myself will take care of it. He says to him here, if he's done to you any wrong or owes you anything, 
Charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. I assume Onesimus' debt. Hold nothing against him at all. Anything he took from you, any charge you have against him, put it on me. Receive him back as a brother. Forgive the debt. Cancel it. And then he ends the letter with confidence. Confidence that Philemon will do what is right. Because he knows Philemon well. He knows his heart. He appeals to his Christian faith. And he says, I know you're going to do what is right. And, and I know you're probably going to even do more than that. And that's it. That's the letter. <laughs> we don't know from anywhere else in Scripture what happens. We, we don't know what Philemon does after he receives this letter and Onesimus comes back. But I think we can safely say that as a mature Christian, as a man who was a brother in the Lord with Paul, a co-worker with Paul in the work of the gospel ministry, that he welcomed Onesimus back with open arms and rejoiced at him coming back and forgave the debt and received him as a brother in the Lord. This letter is unique among the 21 letters that we have in the New Testament. There are other letters that are written to individuals like this one. Paul writes two letters to Timothy. He writes one to Titus, you know, fellow pastors to encourage them. But this one is very different than even those. It's extremely personal. It's a friend writing to a friend to appeal for this man Onesimus. It's, it's not, it doesn't really have any doctrinal teaching in it, which is very different from all of other, Paul's other letters. And there's no admonishment, which is very common in many of Paul's letters. It's a friend writing to a friend. It is not a, a social justice statement on slavery. Paul writes about slavery in a couple other places in different letters. And, and, and nowhere... Does he say, we need to overthrow the government so that we can get this fixed? But he also never condones it either. Under Roman law at that time, it was legal. And whenever Paul writes about it, he writes in the context of how believers are to live under that system that existed at the time. How a servant and a master were to treat each other and work with each other in the context of the gospel. This letter is very different from, from any other letter we have here. Uh, because while it's about forgiveness and reconciliation between two people, it, it's really more than that. While there's no doctrinal content or teaching, it shows what doctrine looks like in real life. And, and maybe you already got the connections. Maybe you already have it all figured out and you have the, the pieces of the puzzle put together and why it's here, why it's inspired by the Holy Spirit and why it is in the Holy Bible. But let's make sure so that you can grow in, in your fondness of this little letter of the New Testament. And even more so, you can grow in your fondness 
of how God works in our lives. You see, our Heavenly Father loves and cares for us. And we are so dear to Him. But so often we, we act like runaway thieves. Right? We think we know what's better for us. We, we think we know what's going to make us happy. We think we know better than God. Oh, and we're happy to take the blessings of God and leave Him behind. And God has every right to punish us for our disobedience. God has every right in his holiness to put us to death for our sins and much more than just a physical death, but eternal death in hell and to say, away from me forever. I have nothing to do with you. But when we finally realize the error of our ways, when we come to see the, the selfish, sinful nature that has been controlling us, We can come back to the Father. And we come back and, and we get to come into his presence and, and not to offer him an explanation for what we've done and try to make excuses and justify our behavior. It's not to come back with our 10-step our plan on how we're going to be better next time. We get to come into the presence of the Father and shove a letter in his chest. A letter written on our behalf. A letter of appeal. A letter that is written by Christ. A letter that is Christ himself. That Christ says that I will be your mediator. I will be your go-between before the Father. I will be the one who will speak on your behalf. And he says to the Father for us that this is my dear brother or sister. I've paid their debt. I've covered it. And I'm asking you to forgive it. Because of that letter of Christ, we are able to come back to the Father and he is able to receive us back and welcome us and be reconciled to us and forgive us and set us free. See the beauty of what happens here between Paul and Philemon and Anesimus just kind of in the middle here is a beautiful, beautiful illustration of what your heavenly Father and Christ do for you. It's just there to receive what's been done for you, to be reconciled to God, to be forgiven of your debt of sin, to be welcomed back and set free. We're, we're in the last week now of this eight-week series called Discipleship. And because we're in the last week, I just kind of want to wrap it up and, and just remind you of what this has all been about. When we say that we are disciples of Jesus, what that means is that we are followers of him. And we're not disciples of anyone or anything else, but Jesus alone. 
And that means that there's going to be a shift in our lives. Things are going to be different. Why we live and how we live and what our priorities are and what we do with our time and what we do with our, our, our gifts and abilities and what we do with our money and how we raise our family and how we treat each other. All of that is going to be different than the world around us when we are disciples of Jesus. And to some, and I don't think any of you, but to some, that sounds kind of controlling. Now, God is just going to tell you what to do and how to live because that sinful nature loves to rear its ugly head and tell you that you do what you want to do and you live how you want to live and no one can tell you, not even God himself. But my friends, it's only in being a disciple of Jesus that true freedom is really found. Because if it's not found there, you are making yourself a slave to all of these other things in life. Be it people, approval, career, money, whatever it is in this life. If you are not finding your freedom as a disciple of Jesus, you are enslaving yourself to something else that cannot satisfy you, that cannot bring you true peace or contentment or satisfaction, and certainly nothing past the grave. You know, it, it's been said before, I'm sure you've heard, that freedom is not free. There's a cost to freedom. You know, we enjoy so many freedoms and blessings in this country of ours, and those came at a high cost to many who came before us. Sacrifices made, blood spilled, many lost their lives for us to be able to sit in this church today, to enjoy the many freedoms that we have. Freedom is not free. It comes at a cost. And your spiritual freedom came at a cost too. It costs human blood. But not ordinary human blood. The human blood of the innocent Son of God himself. On a cross. Where he willingly laid down his life for you. To set you free. To set you free from all sin. To set you free from the control and the slavery to Satan. To set you free from the fear of death itself. Your freedom, your spiritual freedom, that forgiveness of sins and that peace that you get to enjoy and that hope of an eternal life and that promise that God is with you always through this life, that came at a great high cost. It was not free. It cost Jesus his life so that you could have life. My friends, treasure that death that brings you life. Treasure that life of Christ, that resurrected life that brings you the promise of new life here. That freedom came at a high cost for you. But living in that freedom, holding on to that freedom that we have in Christ means that there's going to be a cost to you too. It's going to mean not allowing your sinful flesh to control you anymore. Those things that we think are our freedoms in this life, to live how we want and do what we want, they're not really freedoms at all. 
their slavery to sin, to Satan, even to death. True freedom is only found in Christ. And true freedom in Christ means that there's a cost to be willing to give up everything that would stand in the way of my Savior and my path towards heaven. Jesus talked about that in our gospel lesson. Even those things that are nearest and dearest to you, he goes right to the jugular, he goes right to family. He says, if they would get in the way of your walk and your me, my disciple, and you being in heaven, you've got to deny them and follow me. And whatever else that might be in your life, dear Christian, be it money, career, seeking the approval of the world around you, though, though that sinful flesh that wants to drag you back, whatever it is, Jesus calls you to take up your cross and to follow him. Whatever that struggle might look like in your life, whatever that difficulty might be, to hold on to him more than anything or anyone else. Because you know where he's leading you. You know what he alone can give you. That nothing or no one else in this life can. True freedom is found knowing that when you're willing to give up everything else, you gain Christ. And in him, you have never-ending mercy. In him, you have bottomless grace. In him, you have full and free forgiveness. In him, you have a constant peace. In him, you have true purpose in this life, that this life is not living for yourself anymore, but living for the one who set you free and lived and died and rose for you. Christ who alone can give you hope beyond this life and to give you the promise that someday you'll get to be with him. My dear Christians, you are free. Christ has set you free at a great cost. And now he comes to you and he says, follow me. Choose me over everyone and anything else. And that comes at a cost too but to know what that means for you and for your life and what it means for your eternity. In Christ, there is great gain, the greatest gain in Christ who is not only your brother, but your Savior and your strength and your peace and your joy and your life now and forever. May God give you the strength to know him, believe in him, follow him, and hold fast to him. Amen. And now may God